The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. We are talking about the Packers Manic Monday. All the moves that happened, we're going to break them down. We're going to give you some takes and run through them all. What might be upcoming as well. So much happening with the Green Bay Packers. So we'll run through that. We'll talk also about what the Brewers did in free agency. Yes, MLB free agency is rocking and rolling with the lockout now over. They made a move with Andrew McCutcheon. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk a little bit about the Cincinnati Reds um, just as they keep trading away Brewer Killers, which I don't hate. Uh, lastly, uh, we'll do Bucks Jazz. We'll recap that. And then for Chuck's Corner, we will remember Scott Hall, uh, wrestler, a.k.a. Razor Ramon, who passed away. Um, I know I had some buddies who said, hey, are you going to do anything on that? I was like, yeah, sure, let's do something. Um, so we'll talk about that at the tail end of today's show. Before we get started, just a reminder, we are on social media. We were killing it today. It was a good day of social media for me. Um, was trying, just let me know how you feel about all that content. I don't actually, I don't care. But I was all over it. We were talking the all the Packers stuff, which we're going to talk about here in a second. We talked a little bit about the Brewers signing. Uh, we had a game review. All of it was there for you on the socials. Tapping the keg on Twitter. Tapping the keg sports on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Tabby the Keg Sports on Instagram is also where you will find where our March Madness pool is going. Uh, we have the ID as well as the password in the highlights now. So you can go there. It is 9655. Daily Tap is the password. Uh, there is a link right in there. So make sure you follow that link. You can go sign up. It's all gravy. Daily Tap, the D on the Daily Tap is capitalized, by the way. So I'll make sure to call it out at the end. But just so you know, it's there. I don't think I've had a pin to my Twitter profile, but I will make amends on that and make sure it's pinned on the Twitter profile as well. If you're new to the show, if you found our podcast in some last few weeks, welcome. Uh, we Hopefully you're subscribing on either Apple or Spotify and you're giving us a rating or review. Okay, enough about me. Let's talk about the Green Bay Packers and all of the things that happened on Monday. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't really expect like a crazy day from the Green Bay Packers. I realized that it was the first legal day of tampering. It was the first day where anybody in the NFL could make any moves. But I don't know if I really expected it to be this fast and furious. Now, I'm an idiot because this is how it is every year. It, it's always this sort of explosion of sports news. Like it's a bukkake of NFL stories, right? It's it's similar to the NBA where we have all this news the first couple days and then it starts to kind of slow slow itself down. You know, moves are made, little things here and there, but it's not as significant. Now the league's new year, I believe starts on the 15th. Uh, which would be tomorrow. So I believe it is the new year or it's the 16th. I can't remember. Uh, someone might need to fact check me on that. Regardless, uh, the Packers did a ton of things. So we'll talk about all of those right now and go through sort of the headlines of what has happened. Um, I'm sure you saw most of them, but we do have takes and I definitely want to get my takes off on all of them. So we have Preston Smith, getting his extension. Uh, he called himself a Packer for life. Um, I don't know about that. I know it, what it, it sounds nice, right? He had a four-year extension, but it really is a four, four, one-year deal. Uh, there's no guaranteed money after next year. So that basically makes sure that Preston is not a cap casualty. Uh, well, he could be a cap casualty, but 
it makes sure that he is not a casualty to the cap. How about that? That Preston Smith is not somebody that we're going to have to worry about sucking up a bunch of cap space. If the Packers want to move off Preston Smith, they can. And I think they want to keep Preston Smith motivated. I think Preston Smith played really well with the fire under his ass. You know, some of the biggest years for Preston Smith have been contract years. So I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Um, and I think Green Bay wants to make sure they can keep that fire lit for Preston Smith. And that's what they're doing. And he was a really vital part to this Packer pass rush. He ascended a little bit more this year. And I felt like he was not a guy who just every once in a while showed up. He showed up on a very regular basis. It seemed like Preston Smith had one or two impact plays every game. Then you had Devondre Campbell returning on a five-year, $50 million deal. Campbell talk, said a note to his kids telling them they're okay, that he's finally landed that big contract. Really happy for Campbell, uh, not only on the field, but off the field. And it's a huge ad for the Green Bay Packers. I know that a lot of us thought maybe Green Bay would opt out of a linebacker, that Green Bay would say, all right, we don't need a linebacker. We can just retool, basically treat linebackers in the same way that you would treat a running back or maybe a defensive lineman and not necessarily a premier player. But five years, $50 million, and in a pretty friendly contract, it's actually front-loaded instead of back-loaded, isn't too bad. Um, that's something that you can get, get down with. Um, that it's not really a contract that gives you the heebie-jeebies. It's no way in an overpay for Campbell, a guy for the Jaguars paid. I mean, the Jaguars paid everybody. That was really the joke of day one of free agency. Jaguars gave a guy three years, 15 mil per, uh, who is kind of just a nobody, who's not an all-pro linebacker. And the Packers were able to get their guy for five years and for 10 million per. And I think Joe Barry looks at him like the leader of this defense. And for all the good reasons, right? I think Campbell will be a captain next season. Um, and he's he made his stamp on this team. And he really is sort of the point guard of what the Packers are trying to do from a linebacker perspective, but also from a defensive perspective. So while I understood some of the hesitation on Campbell, I think there was a little worry that Campbell might not necessarily you know, be able to fill the run as well as we thought he did. Some of the underlying numbers weren't that great. I still think it's a really good ad. And I think he Campbell will only get better with more time he has in the Joe Barry defense. I also think, and we'll talk about Billy Turner in a second here, we're going to get to Devontae Adams. But I, I do think that it was between Billy Turner or Campbell and they looked at the sum of both parts and said, what do we have at linebacker versus what do we have at offensive tackle? And they opted for offensive tackle. I think if Campbell had necessarily had a capable backup that showed himself similar to what Josh Neiman did at the tackle position, I don't think Campbell is here. I think they're moving on and they're looking somewhere else. Or if they really felt like they could trust Chris Barnes and Oren Burks. I think they can trust Chris Barnes. I don't think Oren Burks is a capable starting middle linebacker in the National Football League. Other headline, Devontae Adams pissed off. Uh, yeah, this isn't great. Um, I don't think I'm anyone surprised. I don't. I think Devontae was pretty outspoken about that he didn't want the franchise tag and that he didn't necessarily want to be you know, lumped in that group and play on $20 million a year. Um, it seems like we're headed for a holdout, although I don't even think we're getting there yet. I think people need to fucking relax. I realize that the sensational journalism that we deal with 
day to day because these guys have to pull engagement. These guys have to pull attention is out there. But at the, it's not really that big of a deal that Devontae Adams is unhappy in the month of March. If Devontae Adams is still pissed off in July, then we have a fucking problem. Then we have, that's leading our podcast and we're talking about what, what can Green Bay do with Devontae Adams. And Devontae Adams wants $30 million. Uh, Darius Slay had a tweet about it saying, oh, Tay's getting $30 million. Devontae liked that tweet. Um, I know that's outrageous to a lot of people because I think there are only eight quarterback, eight players who have $30 million that aren't quarterbacks. So it's an excessive amount of money, all right? But that's the going rate. I mean, Christian Kirk made $18 fucking million per year. $84 million it can escalate to. That is an absolutely absurd contract for Christian Kirk. Like, absolutely absurd. So they're not helping us. The Jacksonville Jaguars, that is, who gave Christian Kirk that money. And I look at it, and I don't think they should trade Devontae Adams. Um, I, I, I really am not there yet. Like, I think that would be such a spit in the face to Aaron Rodgers, right? And there would be a lot there where you'd have to massage that whole relationship again. And Rodgers would be like, what the fuck? Why did I even come back if you were going to get rid of like my guy? But Devontae Adams definitely deserves the money. I really hate the losers who are like, well, you talk about him being a top two receiver. And he, he should want $30 million. Of course he should. It's not to say that he's going to get it, right? Like, he, Of course he should be the highest paid wide receiver. We've talked about him being the best. Like this whole idea of like fan gatekeeping, which drives me crazy. I fucking hate that. And they're like, you know, people saying, oh, Devontae can't complain or you shouldn't be complaining about Devontae complaining. Like, shut the fuck up. All right. If someone wants to be mad at that, cool. All right. Like my dad who is very adamant about, and he's an old guy. And this isn't related to Devontae. It's more Freddie Freeman who might go to the Dodgers. My dad's like, it's kind of unfair they're able to sign everybody. And, you know, it's a boomer take. I'm not going to lie. I, I don't give a fuck. The Dodgers want to try to keep bringing guys in and keep losing. It's only going to be funny. They're also a Mickey Mouse championship team. People forget that. So the the whole thing about the Dodgers won't bring Freddie Freeman, great. If the Packer, if Devontae Adams wants $30 million, great. It doesn't make him selfish. It doesn't make him spoiled. Does it put more pressure on him if he does get $30 million or somewhere near that? Absolutely. Of course it puts more pressure on them. But guess what? Green Bay has a ton of pressure on them to start the season anyways. No one no one on Green Bay right now is feeling the lack of pressure. There is a ton of pressure right now on the Green Bay Packers and what, what they're going through. So I don't think that's a surprise to really anybody. So I'm okay with Devontae being mad. I'm okay with Green Bay not completely bowing down and immediately giving them his, giving him his money. I think what's going to happen is you obviously will have the Aaron Rodgers contract. I think they will get the Jair Alexander extension done before Devontae Adams. I will go as far to say they will have the draft before Devontae Adams. And I guarantee you, I would not, I shouldn't say guarantee, but I would not be surprised if a team calls about Devontae Adams with a first round pick. Now, should the Packers do that? I don't think so, but I will offer you this. Just food for thought, all right? Stephon Diggs was traded from Minnesota to Buffalo for Buffalo's first-round pick. That first-round pick was Justin Jefferson. It is an extremely talented wide receiver class. 
And I know we've been burned before. The Packers haven't drafted wide receivers. But if you traded Devontae Adams to, let's just play the Chargers, all right? Say Los Angeles Chargers are 17th. You trade Devontae to the Chargers at 17, and you get the 17th pick. You're probably going to have your choice between Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and I don't think Jamison Williams will go that high, but you probably have your choice between Olave or Wilson. Maybe not. Maybe they'll go higher, but you probably will have a receiver there, there waiting for you if you wanted to pursue that path. Now, am I advocating for it? No, not at all. I'm just, it's food for thought. And because of the way the contracts and everything works, I would see Adams then signing after all of the draft picks have not then gotten signed. Once all the draft picks are signed, then it's Adams' turn to get money. I think people will make a much bigger deal out of this than it needs to be. Adams being a social media guy, he he's on there quite a bit. That doesn't help things in these type of scenarios. Um, you'd prefer him not to be on social media and sort of just kind of do his thing and no one, no one sees any of that. That would be appreciated, but that's life. And that's just, it's what you get sometimes. And so I, I just think we're in for a long summer of a standoff that I think will get resolved probably by June or maybe right in the early part of July. So I mentioned Billy Turner. Billy Turner and Zadarius Smith both get released. They are what I guess you would call cap casualties. So I know there are people who are like, oh, cap isn't fake. Look at these guys. Okay. I understand that. Cap is still fake. Sorry about that. It can be manipulated in your favor. Even if you want to keep everybody. Because it kind of makes sense to keep everybody, right? But Packers were... A 13-win football team. They played really well all season. There's no reason to move off a lot of the Packer players. But this does give you flexibility, all right? Like, this is why you kind of have your quote-unquote casualties because it gives you the flexibility to do other things, whether it is the draft like we talked about, whether it's undrafted guys, whether it's potential free agents. I think that Zadarius Smith was gone no matter what. Um, from what I've seen on the internet, there are a lot of people who've alluded to this Darius Smith-Packer relationship was not good. I have a feeling. I don't know who's going to write it. I could see it. If I had to put odds on it, I'd probably put Bukowski at minus 120 to write the article about basically how it all went sideways for Darius Smith and the Green Bay Packers because I, I do think that's a story. I do think that's a story from somebody. The question is, when are they going to tell it and how is it going to happen? Because I I do think you're going to hear that. I do think that's going to become a big thing all of a sudden. Then you have Billy Turner. Yes, he's an Aaron Rodgers guy. I'm sure Aaron Rodgers will be upset by that. But I do have to believe that Aaron Rodgers has had conversations with the Green Bay Packers about which guys do you want to keep if you really have to keep. Like, we can't keep everybody they, some people are going to want more money. Who should we really try to keep here? And Rogers probably gave him a list. And I'm sure Randall Cobb's on that list. And I'm sure Robert Tunyon's on that list. And I'm sure, you know, there are a few other other guys that are on that list as well. So we'll have to just see what happens in terms of the rest of the roster and what that roster might look like uh, when it gets closer to the month of August as well as July. 
Also a headline, speaking of guys who might be gone, MVS, definitely gone. Um, I think that we already kind of knew that, and we haven't really talked about it here on the podcast, but MVS is out of here. Um, he's going to get 12 or $14 million. Uh, the Patriots are looking at him. The Bears, I guess, had some interest. Um, there are a few, I think there are a couple other teams that have been mentioned. Colts, I think, were mentioned too for MVS. Um, he... He's going to definitely have a market. I don't know where he'll go. Wish him well. Hope it's in the AFC so the Packers don't have to deal with him. That would be ideal. Uh, No contract news yet for Aaron Rodgers. Mike Florio, uh, who got some weird text messages, I guess. Um, Shout out to Mike. Real hero. Uh, People were coming at Mike. Uh, He threatened to go uh, public with it. Uh, But it just, I don't know what's going on with Florio, man. I feel bad. Like, I, I... I, you guys are like you guys are gonna be like you're crazy like you hate Florio. I wouldn't say I hate Florio, but like I just don't know what Florio is doing. Like I, I don't get it. Like he's t- it, there's a lot of news. There's a lot of absolute news here, but there's nothing really. There's just some moments where it's like it's Mike's thoughts, like Creed's thoughts. It's crazy. I can't. There are a lot. There's a lot of shit that happened today, so I can't pull those tweets up. But he did say that he's like six days after Rogers saying he's returning, he still hasn't signed a new deal, and he's like, "Will he write?" Florio wants him so bad to change his mind. Nothing would make Florio more happy than Aaron Rodgers changing his mind. He would come his pants, like literally. I think a pure quick ejaculation we've talked about ejaculation twice on this podcast in the first 20 minutes not ideal uh also jarvis landry i guess might have interest in the packers i don't think so i think that was kind of used as a bargaining chip seems like he's going to go to the chiefs or the bills good on jarvis uh for kind of jarvis to me i'm not i'm not really a jarvis guy i just not i don't know why i just have never really felt like great about jarvis landry i if you and like Maybe that's a fantasy football poisons us. Because like when you draft Jarvis Landry, it's not like, oh, man, you drafted Jarvis Landry. It's like, eh, Jarvis Landry. It's like your sixth or seventh round. So maybe fa- fantasy football has poisoned the Jar- Jarvis Landry well. But he doesn't seem like the reliable slot guy of some of the others. Like I don't know if there's much of a difference between Jarvis Landry and Randall Cobb. Probably slight. Like That's a little spicy, right? But like I think back to like Emmanuel Sanders, right? Remember how we all wanted Emmanuel Sanders, me included? And you look at what Emmanuel Sanders did for the Bills, and it, he had some moments, but it was never like, wow, Emmanuel Sanders has completely changed the game, like a slot guy like Cooper Cup, right? No, none of that from Sanders or uh, or what probably will be Landry. Uh, definitely don't think that's happening. So we'll see what's coming. We'll see if there's Rodgers news tomorrow. We'll see if some other guys sign. We'll see if Rasul Douglas comes back. Uh, that was something. It never really got confirmed that the Packers were going to bring Rasul back for another year. Um, but that never really got shored up. So we're still waiting to see if Rasul ends up as a Packer. That would be fucking great. I would enjoy that greatly. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Um, and definitely a long way to go but i'd like that rogers news to kind of be the final domino to be like all right it's go time but we'll see we'll see when that when that news drops who knows with aaron Rodgers, right you never can really predict what you're going to get out of aaron Rodgers. moving on to the milwaukee brewers we haven't talked about the brewers in a while right we've talked a lot about the lockout we mentioned how much we hated rob manfred we did a lot of baseball talk in that sense but we haven't really done a ton with the Brewers. I I wanted to save some Brewer stuff for Mitch. 
uh, when we do our podcast, because mentioned a big Brewer fan and enjoy talking to him about the Brewers. But the Brewers made a move. Uh, they signed Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, they brought him in to help with their issues against left-handers. It's obviously a priority for the Brewers. They were going after Nelson Cruz. Uh, Nelson Cruz ended up signing with the Washington Nationals, which is kind of an interesting, interesting situation. I thought the Nationals gave a 42-year-old man way too much. I know it was ended up being a one-year deal with some player options, but still, I wouldn't want to feel good about Nelson Cruz opting in at age 43. Maybe there's this unspoken agreement that you can work those in, but odds are I'm going to retire after this. It just seemed like an odd choice for Cruz. I don't know, maybe relationship with Juan Soto. I'm unsure, right, why he decided to go there versus San Diego, Los Angeles, Milwaukee, who are all sort of in the running. So as the consolation prize, they get Andrew McCutcheon. Now, this is not a this is not like I don't want that to come off as like, oh, bummer, we got Andrew McCutcheon. Because I really like the move. Kurt Hogg, new brewer beat writer, you gotta follow him, he's great, uh, pointed out that the Brewers were near the bottom in WOBA, which is a combination of a variety of baseball stats. I was gonna have it defined, like I have notes today. It's gonna have it defined, and then I didn't. Um, so look it up. Uh, that's your homework. Come back to me. Tweet me. Instagram me. Tell me what what WOBA is. And they were 23rd. But I know I personally know it's a culmination of a bunch of the. It's like OPS. I think batting average. And all right, fuck it. I'm gonna look it up. All right. Usually I I cut this part out of the podcast, but since I am now on my feet, like I feel like I'm do. I did a bad job by not. But not introducing what this is because I know there are some of you that don't do the advanced metric world. Okay, weighted on base percentage. I knew it was something close. I'm I'm in spring training too. It's similar to on base percentage, but instead of taking into account whether a player gets on base or not, it accounts for how they got on base. The value of each event correlates to projected runs scored for that event. Very interesting. Brewers were not good against left-handers. They were 23rd in the league last year. McCutcheon, WOBA, is 11th in baseball in the last few years. That is better than Jose Abreu, J.D. Martinez, Nick Castellanos. You might have heard of him. Council will definitely use him as an outfielder and a DH. I know there are people probably saying, we don't need another outfielder. We have a ton of outfielders. I get it. I understand that. But I, I do think part of this is... The Milwaukee Brewers love to rotate their guys. The Milwaukee Brewers love to basically make sure that nobody is exhausted. That's playing multiple games. You know, they all get their rest. Lorenzo Cain, I think, knows that he needs to load management a lot more than he did last year. Um, I think Cain admitted as such after the season. And that's something you're really going to have to get out of Lorenzo Cain. And I, I think, too, it will help Christian Yelich at times to maybe play DH. And then you put McCutcheon out outfielder. Hunter Renfro is going to be a guy that's in the lineup regularly, but maybe he needs some days off. I still think uh, Tyrone Taylor has a role on this team. I think he can be a really good bench guy and a, sort of a utility outfielder. I'd love if he learned how to play first base. I think that would be great for the for the Brewers. I, he might not be sure, tall enough for it, but who cares, right? Could he learn an infield position? There's also some talk, Keston Hura playing some outfield. So I think the fact that Craig Council plays positionless baseball. 
I, I know it's weird to say we always talk about positional basketball, but Craig Council plays positionless baseball. Craig Council really doesn't have, you know, the rigidness of some teams. Everything is malleable. Everything can be twisted and turned to the way he wants. I, I know it drives some fans crazy, but it's so fun. And it makes things so exciting because you never get the same lineup. And I think that's what's really fun about Craig Craig Council, who my father calls the alchemist. And I think it is a great nickname. They also had a Brad Boxberger back. I think that was a solid ad for them. The bullpen for the Brewers was pretty good last season. And Boxberger was definitely one of the reasons why. So adding him too is great. Um, also, I'm a coach and I didn't add this, that... Just the club, uh, ultimate clubhouse guy. Like, I, I don't think anyone has ever said a bad word about Andrew McCutcheon. He is a great dude. And so I think to add that to the locker room is really fun. And definitely a well-liked guy across baseball. So I, I think that only helps the vibes, right? And not that the Brewers have bad vibes, but definitely gives you a leader, an, an additional leader on top of what you have with Lorenzo Cain, what you have with Christian Yelich. What you have with, I think, like a Brandon Woodruff, I, I consider kind of a leader, even though he's a little younger. Um, so they they just have some dudes, man, and they're they're gonna be ready to play ready to play baseball. Adamas, another guy who I would put in that sort of leadership category. But yeah, it's, it'll be fun to hear Euchre on the radio again. I don't know, I don't know if the Brewers play today or no, the seventeenth, seventeenth or eighteenth, they get started, and then obviously opening day on April seventh. But a lot more to come. The Milwaukee Bucks, moving on to them, they got it done last night. Uh, 117 to 111, a great win for Milwaukee. They came through in the clutch in the fourth quarter. Uh, looks like we are going to talk about another bad third quarter and how you should be concerned about it. And the Bucks flipped the switch, really led by Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday kind of took control of this basketball game. And this is yet another example of that. And I think... Drew's ability to kind of shift basketball games has become a major development for Milwaukee. I think you have to pay a lot more attention to that. I thought it was interesting, uh, Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo, who probably, to me, easily best podcast you can listen to every week, get smarter about the NBA, learn about topic. I don't know. It's just great. I don't need to suck their dick. They already get praise from everybody else. But they mentioned Holiday in that top 20 conversation of best players, and I really think he deserves to be there. I think just this is the example of it, um, just what he does in the fourth quarters. We've seen this before. We saw this against Chicago. We saw this a little bit against Phoenix. We now see this again against Utah. So these big-name big, big name teams, these playoff-like teams, and Drew Holiday is basically putting the team on his back and saying, let's fucking go on both sides of the ball. He was awesome. Yeah, I thought... He was the reason that Milwaukee wins this basketball game. Giannis had some moments too. Um, he started bullying Gobert um, down in the paint. I think because Giannis had five fouls, he was a little more cautious. Uh, but a 30 and 15 night for Antetokounmpo, weird that he was getting no foul calls. I thought it was kind of odd from an officiating standpoint. I, I mean, Tony Brothers was there, so you obviously know it's never going to be a clean game. It's never going to be a game that you enjoy because Tony Brothers is an awful official. Uh, he's had some history too with the Bucks in terms of games lost. But Giannis had four free throw attempts, yet Giannis had five fouls. Brooke Lopez had five fouls as well, or four fouls, excuse me. So there is something there, right? Like, 
I don't know what what were we seeing on one end and we weren't seeing on the other end. It seems seems a little bit off. Um, even if even if Whiteside and Gobert did all right against Giannis, um, I don't think it's anything anything that a team gets no fouls for, right? Whiteside, speaking of that, like talk about a guy who I think a lot of the NBA Eastern Conference wishes they had because Whiteside did actually a pretty good job on Giannis. Um, he made it frustrating not go bare. It was Whiteside who was giving Giannis a lot of problems. So I'm very happy that Whiteside's in the West and he's not playing for Miami, his old team, or he's not playing for like Boston or Philly or something like that because like that'd be a real issue. Um, he's he's the first guy I've seen this year that has really give, give, gave Giannis fits. There we go. I figured out the grammar there. <laughs> but yeah, onto the Kumbo. Uh, still played well. I mean, 30 and 15, definitely a golden keg worthy uh, performance. But yes, I uh, I enjoyed the I enjoyed what Onda Kumbo was able to do, even with the white side pressure. Other thoughts from this game, Brooke Lopez return, man. You forget all the little things that Brooke Lopez brings to the table, just some of the rebounding, some of the defense, and Ben Thompson point, pointed this out, noted Bucks fan, um, that the Bucks gave up 40 points in the first half, first quarter, I think it was 39, but they give up 39 in the first quarter, Brooke Lopez then plays in the second quarter, and the Bucks only give up 20 points. Um, so immediately you see sort of that impact. Brooke coming off the bench, as well. I think a lot of people wondered that. I think I talked about that yesterday because I thought like Brooke had been pretty outspoken about not coming off the bench, but maybe just given the success of Bobby Portis, there's no way they can pull Brooke, you know, into the starting lineup and push Bobby back. I still think Lopez can make an impact in that second quarter. I think that can help the Bucks. I think as he gets, you know, more comfortable, although he is really ready. Like I, I think the Bucks waited long. So let's put a pin in that. But I do think that if Brooke is coming off the bench, I think he can help in the second and third quarters and try to steady the tides. And I don't think it's outrageous to think Brooke can't be in a, in a closing lineup for Milwaukee. We've certainly seen it in the past. I think that there will be moments where you need Brooke in that closing lineup where either Portis is getting dominated or it's a situation like you're facing Embiid. And I think like you need that size. You need that beef to basically bang in the post with Giannis and make sure that Embiid is not necessarily getting whatever the hell he wants. So I know I, I kind of diverted there about the health. I, I think Brooke is all the way back. Like, I don't think the Bucks rushed this at all. I think the Bucks took their time. They waited until Brooke was absolutely healthy. I would imagine. Now, this is just me guessing. I have nothing sourced on this. But, like, I think Brooke could have played three or four weeks ago. But it would have been a slower ramp up. I think they waited until Brooke was fully healthy to unleash. And this is exactly why they sort of waited a little bit longer. And that is a huge development, right? Because now we don't have to have like, well, how healthy is Brooke going to be? Brooke's fucking healthy. Like, I think you can watch that game and say, Brooke looks healthy. Now, they play the Kings uh, in a, not necessarily back-to-back, but they play on Wednesday. So they have a day off, and now they, then they play the Kings on Wednesday, who just beat the Bulls, by the way. And maybe Brooke looks a little slow. He looks a little sluggish. Then I think we can have that conversation of, okay, well, Brooke doesn't necessarily look like a guy who's rampant and ready to play here. He looks like a guy who maybe is a little bit laboring, but we'll just have to see, right? And I doubt he'll play back-to-backs. Like, if, if I were the Bucks, I would be resting Brooke 
on back-to-backs, but I don't actually think the Bucks have a back-to-back the rest of the year. I think they might have had their last one uh, against Oklahoma City and Atlanta last week. So really good game from the Bucks. Third quarter did suck. You got to figure that out. You have to sort of figure out that third quarter in a big way because it's still a problem and it's not really getting better. Um, I don't know why this continues to be an issue for the Bucs. Um, I was happy to see them kind of fight back and it was only a four point. They were only down four uh, heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, but yeah, that's that's gonna that's gonna burn them in the playoffs. And they need they I don't even know if you can figure it out at this point. Like I, I think it's kind of a lost cause, but yes. Uh, so that was definitely the negative of the game. But if you do golden kegs are best players from the game, best performances, best moments, all of that stuff. Uh, three kegs, like I said, Drew Holiday, really good game from him. The fourth quarter for Drew uh, was definitely a top golden keg moment. Two kegs to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, I thought Giannis played well. I could also put that second keg as Giannis bullying Rudy Gobert because uh, he definitely made Rudy Gobert not look like the defensive player of the year. Uh, like I said, Hassan Whiteside was that defensive player of the year. And then one keg. I'm going to go with closing time Javon Carter minutes. Javon Carter closed tonight. Javon Carter was basically given to us by Brooklyn. And Javon Carter is playing in the last five minutes of a basketball game and handled his fucking business. He had a great pass to Drew Holiday where he could have forced a corner three and he's been really good at the corner threes and he could have easily forced it and he didn't. And he he gave it to Holiday who had been hot and he Holiday hits his patented mid-range jumper uh, for another bucket. Also, Carter got fouled late in sort of a fracas um, down the stretch two big free throws. I'm like, Jesus Christ, loud as fuck in Utah. And Carter hits both and just ice in his veins, man. I am so impressed with Javon Carter. I don't think that has been picked up nationally enough. Um, That Javon Carter has basically sort of been a mini PJ Tucker. Like he, he's smaller than PJ Tucker, right? But he's definitely taking those PJ Tucker minutes that we saw last year and that the Bucks were desperately looking for. So all-time bad move by Brooklyn. I appreciate it. Um, also think about this. He was on the Suns. And you think about that guy, you know, giving, you know, problems on the perimeter and you play more of campaign. And I know campaign had some offensive explosions in the playoffs, but man, talk about another regret for the Suns. I uh, just hate to see it. Wrapping up today's show with a sad Chuck's Corner. Uh, we had Scott Hall pass away at age 63 also known as Razor Ramon, also known as the bad guy. Razor Ramon, one of the more iconic pro wrestlers in our day. Um, he was an absolute legend in the 90s, uh, definitely a top-tier heel in all of professional wrestling and somebody that people sort of loved and they also hated. And I think that's what makes a great heel. Now, Razor Ramon was kind of before my time, I'll be honest. When I was asked about this, I said, eh, should we do something? Should we not? And I love professional wrestling. I, I used to. I don't watch professional wrestling anymore. But if like Bill Simmons has a pro wrestling topic, I'm not like turning it off. I'm listening because I still in a weird way care, even though I have no idea what's going on. And I maybe you'll see a clip from McAfee. I think I follow like a WWE creative humor account for some reason. And it's like, so I kind of still know what's going on a little bit, right? I know Stone Cold Steve Austin is fighting at WrestleMania, which God knows why. But yeah, 
So I, I don't keep myself out of the loop. And the one time or the few times I can remember Razor Ramon is when I was first getting into wrestling. I was probably, I don't know, I was nine. Maybe I was 10. Maybe even a little younger. And we used to have a video store right by our house. It was like a block, two blocks away. And they used to have a bunch of wrestling uh, VHSs, like old pay-per-views on VHS that you could rent out. And so I think that my friends and I would always make it a point, maybe not always, but we'd make it a point on a lot of sleepovers to go rent a wrestling video. I still remember the one we rented that was out of London. I forget who I was with. I forget which friend. But I, we, they were in London. Sable was wrestling Jackie. And this is like peak Attitude Era, right? So this is a little bit after Razor Ramon. But I'll, I'll get back to Razor. But anyways, Sable rips off Jackie's top. And like you see her nipples. I, I mean, never would happen today. But like, hey. It was uh, it's fun for uh, whatever, how old I was. Like that definitely like an intro to puberty. Like, oh my God, you saw our boobs. Like it was definitely a big fucking deal. Definitely, I think we were around it a couple times. Um, and it, yeah, but back to Razor Ramon and this story about the VHSs is I did watch some of those older matches, you know, some of the tail end of Razor Ramon. And when he decided to become Scott Hall and go to WCW, I didn't have as much exposure to WCW. I really didn't. I was a WWE guy through and through. I didn't really know too much about the Wolfpack. I I think I played a video game. There was a great, like, I think it was a PlayStation game. There was a great PlayStation WCW game. Um, so I would play that a little bit, but that was about it. That was I did not have the exposure to WCW as I did with WWF. And I think I just was more of a fan of Austin and The Rock. And so when Scott Hall's out there doing his thing, D-Generation X was a huge one for me. I didn't really have that, you know, vibe with him. But I did love Kevin Nash, his buddy, who wrote a very sad Instagram yesterday about taking Scott off life support. So I don't think it's as impactful of a pro wrestling loss as it is for some of people, including the requesters that asked. But I, I still think it matters because he was a part of wrestling pop culture in the 90s and in the early 2000s. And the fact that he had a real fall from grace and was in a really bad spot with you know drugs and alcohol and kind of rose up and kind of got, got past that and, and did a little bit more. Um, it, it was always a struggle for him. It never really, it never really evened itself out, but at least he tried. All right, and and I think when it, addiction's a real fucking thing, and the least you can do is ask people to try, and at least ask people to make the effort there. So I remember Razor Ramon, I remember Scott Hall, a ten bell salute for him for sure, and definitely maybe maybe will bring maybe I'll bring back myself back to wrestling. I don't know. I always at this time of year, man, you get that itch because WrestleMania is happening. Now it's like a two-day thing. They, I mean, it's, they bastardized everything about wrestling. Not to sound like a hipster, but I, it will never be as cool as the Attitude Era. Um, and it, I, I'm happy that we lived that. That's like one of the few things we have. We have actually a lot of things. I shouldn't say that. We, But as kids, we had the Attitude Era. And the Attitude Era was absolutely fucking awesome. 
All right, that does it for today's show. We will be back tomorrow. Mitch and I on the ones and twos doing the tapping the keg. We'll talk brackets. We'll talk bucks. We'll talk brewers. Be a fun show. Um, and then Thursday, we will be back with me. Friday, you'll be back with me. We'll talk a little bit about a whole, whole other shit. We'll, we'll see what else, what else we have in the hopper. Um, we'll definitely do an AMA again on Friday, by the way. And that was fun. I'm definitely doing that again. Getting your questions about sports or really anything else. We talked about dogs, cream puffs. If you haven't listened to that, I would definitely recommend it. All right. Take care of yourself. Have a good Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye. Check one, two.